Good afternoon and welcome to New Beginning Radio, where we'll plant a seeds today for a better tomorrow, walking you out of the darkness and into the light. Not only are we talking about the issues, but we're finding solutions for the problems that we deal with every day. And joining me today is my co-host, Mr. Sheldon Gooch. Mr. Gooch, how are you today? I am great, Miss Sanders. How are you doing? Absolutely wonderful. Well, you look wonderful as always. Uh, it's that water I drink. <laughs> <laughs> I need to have some of that good water. My goodness. Well, I'm excited because this particular broadcast of New Beginnings Radio is brought to our listening audience by our particular organizations. Mine, which is I Am Free Incorporated, which I'll talk about in just a second, and yours, which is... Geneva Foundation. How We deal with women that have gone through nine forms of abuse, whether it's mentally, emotionally, physically, sexually, spiritually, financially. Uh, we talk about bringing women out of the dark place into the light. Mm. So we're very excited to do that, and we're very excited to be a sponsor of the New Beginning Radio. Absolutely. And listen, I... I've seen the work you, you do, and I've seen the results, and I'm just proud to be on your board and to be in partnership with you in ministry. And so we're going to get into your organization in just a minute, but very briefly, um, I'm Free deals with uh, returning citizens or re-entering citizens, people who are transitioning from the prison to the free world, needing a good jump start and some direction and mentorship. So I'm excited to be a co-sponsor of New Beginnings Radio as well. But we get to talk about you today. Wow. And I'm excited about that. Your organization, um, we're going to get into in the second half of the program, but our listeners need to know more about who this beautiful lady is. And for those of you who are listening who can't see, this lady does not look at all like what she has been through. And um, when most people describe her, they say she's beautiful inside and out. And I don't know which is the most, but but uh, she is a very beautiful lady. But it hadn't always been that way, has it, Miss Sanders? No, it has not. Okay. It has not. So not. when someone looks at you today and all that you've accomplished and acquired, they would think you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Trust me, I was not. <laughs> well, that was a quick rebuttal. <laughs> Trust me, I was not. Okay, was so not. so tell us, where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born and raised in a little community that's called Caseyville, Mississippi. You almost have to be from Mississippi <laughs> to know that there's a Caseyville. Right? Absolutely. It's out 550 Highway. Okay. I'm going to um, Fayette, Mississippi, but I grew up in a little rural community there mm -hmm. with my mom, my dad, brothers and sisters. Wow. Yeah. So so there was no silver spoons laying no around? No silver spoons. Didn't even have a fork sometimes. Wow. <laughs> now I've heard you tell your story and we've had driving conversations and I'm always amazed because I was a city boy. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan and, I, and I'm just amazed at some of the things you talk about. Um, like you were saying that you, you didn't have running water when you Word. Oh no, we did not have running water for a very long time. I remember going to school, coming home on Mondays and Wednesdays was my mom 
um, well, Wednesday was the wash day. And basically what we did in the afternoon when we got in from school, we changed clothes and uh, we went uh, and walked about a half a mile to Old Spring. And we had uh, the five gallon buckets that we used to carry water uh, to the back up to the house, put it in a number three tub. The water would, uh, it would be so hot during the summertime. And that's how my mom warmed the water. <laughs> to wash white clothes is put it out in the, in the sun. Oh, man. <laughs> and, so and, wait a minute. You said and make our way back up to the house. Yes. So you there, had to come up a hill of hill sorts in Dallas. With, the, yes. with the load of water. Yes. Yes. And it's amazing because we had a five-gallon bucket. And <laughs> the easy way to carry the water was to put a stick through the the handle. I would be on one side and my brother would be on the other and we would be carrying the water up the hill and bringing it, putting it in a number three tub so my mom could wash. Wow. So so Wednesdays was wash day. Wednesdays was wash what day. What was Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday like? Mondays was cleaning the house, making sure everything was organized, you know, and, and it was always that way. You know, we grew up very poor. But my mom would always say the first impression mm -hmm. is the best impression ever. Right. And I remember you could see if you was walking on the highway, you could look directly under our house. Most people would have a lot of stuff just under the house okay. to get rid of it. But my mom was not having any of that. You know, it you, had to be clean at all times. So your house was off the ground? It was off the ground, yes. It, it had to be clean so you could see clean through, through to the other side? To the other side. <laughs> oh, wow. Now that's detail. That's, yeah, very. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that was something that uh, she took pride in. Okay. You know, uh, washing clothes, hanging them up, you know, on Tuesdays. Uh, that was most times everything was being gathered together by the kids you know all the dirty clothes and okay. everything we would all put them in a pile the white the the tan clothes go in another spot and then the blue jeans and all that goes in the other and they would be ready for her on wednesday morning uh and most times what she would do the white clothes we had something called devil eye it was a detergent, but uh, we was uh, she would soak the white clothes overnight. Okay. And and she would put the devil eye and the Purex and all of that in the water and just soak them overnight. And when she got up the next morning, the white clothes had soaked, so they was nice and white. And she right. put them in the clear water, and we hung them on the line. What she did, mm -hmm. hung them on the line. And when we got in in the afternoon, that was what we were supposed to do. Everybody knew what they, you know, what they were supposed to do. Right, and right. that was go for me to go and get clothes off the line and fold them. And everybody had their own little pile of clothes right. and everybody put up their own things. Wow. But that was something that I, that I did in the afternoon because all the clothes was dry. Miss Geneva trained you well. <laughs> I've seen you make a bed. I've seen you fold your laundry and it's always, you know, like you got some Chinese in you or something. <laughs> <laughs> but wow. uh, she did a really good job with you. But also, oh, thank you. you did some cooking. Oh, yeah. And you did some experimenting with cooking. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about, you know, your biscuits or your your greens. or Because, I mean, every, everybody that knows you has sat down at your table 
mm-hmm. don't want to leave. I have, I've seen people say, when is the next time? <laughs> we, you know, my mom taught me at age eight how to cook. And at that time, a lot of the kids in the neighborhood, we was all family. If we wasn't family, it was Uncle Joe or Uncle John, you know, everybody in the neighborhood, we claimed each other. Mm-hmm. And so what we would, <clears throat> we would do, um, most of the kids would be out playing on Saturdays and I would be in the kitchen doing something with my mother. If it was standing on top of a stew making grits, you know, we were cooking those old Tammy grits back then, mm-hmm. uh, making grits or her teaching me how to roll dough. And, and there was times at age nine and 10, I had learned how to make biscuits. So wait a minute. So while everybody else was out having fun, mm-hmm. you were in the house mm-hmm. helping mom cook and yeah. learning how to cook. Yes. Wow. Yes. Did you ever look out the window or the door and say, man, I sure wish I was out there? I would be upset that everybody really? in the community pretty much was, there was some property with nothing on it that was in front of our house. And so everybody would go outside and the property was grown up at one time and it belongs to someone else. So they cut all the trees and everything off. And so what the boys did they would go out and play softball, foot baseball, or mm-hmm. something like that. So they had worn down all the grass. So, of <laughs> course, the girls was not doing that. The girls was out making mud cakes. Oh. You know, putting the dirt in the, in the ground and putting water on it mm-hmm. and making mud cakes. So they was out doing a lot of that. So wait a minute. So they do, they outside doing fake cooking with dirt and you inside making... Doing the real thing. <laughs> wow, okay, come on. <laughs> but, the, you know, but that's how we, that's how we grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't a lot of girls in the community. It was probably about four or five girls in, in the community just, really? in the community yeah uh, meaning uh, your age as you were yeah doing. yeah around that age and uh, and everybody was pretty much doing their own things with their parents mm-hmm. you know we had some parents that had a little bit more than we did you know they uh, those young girls had the opportunity to go to town on Saturday Go to town is go, go going shopping. And where's that? That was in Brookhaven. Uh-huh. I I remember one Saturday going with my mom to a store to call F and C, and that's where we bought the little black and white shoes. And I thought that was the most amazing thing oh. to be able to buy a two dollar and fifty cents pair of shoes and come back home. It was just so exciting just to be able to go to school the next uh, on Monday and have clean, pretty white shoes trimmed in black. I was just so excited. I was just so excited. And I remember growing up, I was always excited when my mother would buy the flower in the big bags, you know, Mm -hmm. it was. And it would take a couple of my brothers to bring it in the house. Oh, that was a 50-pound bag. Yeah, it would take a couple of my brothers to bring it in the house. Mm -hmm. And we always had this big, shiny can that we put meal and flour in. And so my mom would dump all of that into that um, big can. And she would take the, the flour bags 
And I used to wonder, what is she going to do with all this? <laughs> you know, we would have four or five different uh, bags because my mom was always giving stuff away. She would always give flour and stuff away. And people would, until they realized what she was doing, <laughs> they would bring all their bags to my mom's house. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and my mom would take those and she would wash them and she would hang them up. And she would, um, mm. she would, hmm. It's okay if you want to cry. <laughs> she would take those bags and she would lay them down on the bed. Mm -hmm. And she would take one of my dresses mm -hmm. and she would lay it down on top. Mm -hmm. And she would cut around that dress mm -hmm. and make me dresses. Out of those flowers. Yeah. And that's how. She was gifted. <laughs> and that's how we would have, that's how I would have dresses to wear to school. And she would take the trimming mm -hmm. and she would take a thread and she would sew it up real thin. Mm -hmm. And that will be my barrette to match my dress. And she would do that. And I would have all colors, all kinds of dresses. And she would sit there and she would take so much pride in it. I can see her now rocking in a rocking chair back and forth. And I would say, well, what are you doing? She said, oh, you're going to be beautiful on Monday. And that was my dress that I wore to school on Monday. That is amazing. But she wow. did, you know, she did it all the time. And she would always, no matter what she was doing, she would always show me mm -hmm. and try to get detail why you need to do this this way. Right. And even with cooking, you know, if I didn't... <laughs> make something the way that it should, she would praise me, but yet instead she would say, well, let's try it this way. Oh, yeah. And I remember the first time I cooked biscuit, I rolled them down too thick, man. They was, you could <laughs> play ball with them. Uh -oh. <laughs> and, and I remember cooking them in an old stove and she would say, go check your biscuit, go check your biscuits. And I would pull them out and I would be so excited and I would ha we would have butter and we would have different type of butter okay and the butter came we would have cows milk to cows and we would take we would take jars and we would sit there and shake the jars <laughs> and the milk would turn into butter and once all of the milk was gone we would take mom would take the butter and pour it out and and she would put it in a something like a cup and she would put it in the refrigerator. And we would use that butter over and over again. And I would take the butter and put it on the bread, on the biscuits, which was so hard, it was just pitiful. <laughs> and I remember trying to bite into it. And I looked at my mother and she looked at me and she halfway smiled and she said, well, you wasn't paying attention. You should knead it. You take it and knead the dough, you yeah, know. And yeah. then you take it in your hand and you roll it up mm -hmm. and then you put it down. And mm. she said, everything has a technique. So that's how I learned how to cook biscuits. Wow. Well, you know, just to back up on the clothes now, um, you were talking about the FNC store and the black and white shiny shoes. Mm -hmm. Is that the reason why you've got shoes with the tag still on them right now? You know, you got, I mean, you seem to have about 100 pairs of shoes. All of them just... Really, well, really actually, nice. I have two twenty-three. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not bragging. That's not bragging. Right. When I grew up, I didn't have any. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and 
you know, people don't realize why we accumulate so much stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody say you got too much stuff, you have it everywhere. And I always buy in twos mm-hmm. and I have to get out of that habit because I know that that is a problem. Mm-hmm. But the reason why is because we didn't have a lot. Right. We, we didn't have a lot of clothes. We mm-hmm. I probably had seven dresses that last wow. me a whole year. Wow. You know, two or three pair of shoes that would last me a whole year. And my biggest thing, if I ever get grown, I am going to have shoes and I'm going to have clothes. Oh, you, Lord. <laughs> I'm just going to reveal some, some of the secrets you have in your closet. <laughs> you have a bedroom that is just a closet that has two closets off from it that are, and the whole thing is filled. Yes. Yeah, you do. You got you got tables of jewelry. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I have to let it go. Yeah, purses. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> purses that go to the ceiling. Yes. One thing about it, um, you you'll never be without, and you know there is a there's something to that. Yeah, you know, yeah. one of the things that I that is it, nothing in my house that somebody can't ask for and I won't give them. And I've seen that too. <laughs> you know, even clothes, handbags, shoes, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. And when I see something I like, I say, oh, I'm buying this for me, but somebody else may like it. I've <laughs> seen big black garbage bags full of shoes that you were giving away. I mean, the garbage bag, the big garbage bag that you put in a big can and you were giving those shoes away. Well, my mother saw your closet, and you gave her something. And she said, um, Sister Sanders is so generous. And I went to look in her closet, and I was admiring it. She, she just said, pick out what you want. Because it, I, I have no idea. I, I can't even explain it. It it means something, but it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and pro- that is probably the wrong way to look at it. But when I buy, I'm always buying with somebody else in mind. Right. And like this Christmas, I look, I, a couple of days ago, I was cleaning out the closet and I have handbags that's still in a little zip wrap bag, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And I am going to give that away for Christmas. Yes. I have a lot yeah. of stuff that I don't have to purchase for Christmas. I can just go in my closet and, and give it away. So mm-hmm. I will be doing a lot of that this Christmas. That's going to be awesome. That's yeah. going to be awesome. Well, most of us can't relate to that, but <laughs> but uh, but you have been you have shown your generosity. But let's go back to Caseyville for a, sure. a minute or two. Now, did you grow up in church? No. Okay. Uh, we you know we went to church. It wasn't often, even though the church was right down the street from my house. Mm-hmm. I, I remember seeing our pastor that would go through and and uh, he would blow his horn and, you know, and we would hide from him. <laughs> now, is this the legendary Elder Wilson? Yes. Oh, I've heard yes. a whole lot about him. Yes, okay. yes. And he would blow his horn at us, but we knew the time that he was coming to church. And we would actually run and hide from him. <laughs> and let me tell you why we would run and hide. Because we weren't allowed to wear pants. 
uh, we always wore the long dresses. Even those that were not in church. Even those that was not in church. Wow. You know, because it was like only a man should wear pants. That's mm -hmm. what I grew up thinking. Only a man should wear pants. Hmm. And we would have on the long dresses, you know, down past my knees. Mm -hmm. And I remember my mom and my dad would go to town and it, and during that time, my cousins down the street, they would come up. They would always have on short pants. I mean, short pants, you know, and uh, they would always give me some short pants. Mm -hmm. And so when my mom and dad went to the store, <laughs> I would put on the short pants and I would just walk around outside just just happy as I could be, uh -huh. you know. <laughs> wow. But we could always tell when Ella Witcher was coming and the first lady, we could always tell the sound of his car. Mm. You know, my dad taught us how to listen to the sound of a vehicle and tell you what kind it was. Mm. So we used to have habit of doing that. Mm -hmm. So we we would listen to his car coming up the highway and we could be out in the middle of the streets playing or whatever and we could hear the sound of El Witcher and we would scatter because we did not want him to see us outside playing around nor did we want him to see us with short pants on so mm -hmm. we would hide and it was the way that we showed respect to him even though we were doing wrong we did not want him to see us that way well you know what i think what that boils down was to spiritual conviction <laughs> yeah <laughs> you should have been in church you should have been in church should have been in church oh, that's amazing you know but we you know First Sunday, third Sunday, and we always had um, church where once a year where everybody had that big meeting where everybody would come together and we would be like Madea out up under the tree oh. and everybody would have food in the trunk of their car. So is that dinner on the ground? Yes, <laughs> dinner mm. on the ground. You know, that. and we would have the truck. Uh, the back of the trunk open, and there would be containers just full of macaroni and cheese and, and all kinds of potato food. salad. Potato salad, you know, and chicken dumplings, you oh, know. Wow. And people would just go from one car to the other, and everybody's hood was up. Really? <laughs> trunk was up, yes. And people would just make their rounds, taking their plate, and people would, we would have our spoons and forks ready to put food on their plate, they go sit up on a tree. It's amazing, that makes me seem like I'm ancient, <laughs> but this is so true. That's a practice that needs to be revived. Yeah, but but you know, everybody came together and we did that once a year and it was, you know, and people from all over Caseyville and different churches would come and, and we would do that, yeah. Tell me about Kathleen Ford. <laughs> Do we have to call her name? <laughs> <laughs> she was, and still is, a very beautiful young girl growing up. And she was the bully. She had about four or five other girls that hung out with her all the time. And it's amazing because my dad and her dad was best friends. Where you saw one, you saw the other. But she couldn't stand me because she thought my hair was too long and I was too cute. Well, yeah, she was right. <laughs> I don't know about all that. But that was a problem that she had. But not only just me, just bullying the girls uh, in, at school, you know. We would get into it, and and I remember her taking my Borettes 
hair all over my head, all kinds of stuff when I went home. I believe at that, and I know for a fact, when you're insecure about yourself, in order to keep control, you always find the person you feel the weak, the weakest, mm -hmm. and that's who you run over. You told this story to me a couple of times, and I've always wondered, what was your response when she was yanking on your hair and taking your barrettes out? Angry. I mean, so you were angry, but did you try to fight back at all? Or? You know, I remember how my mom would always say, you got to be a lady no matter what. You know, and I was young, uh, 10, 11 years old, sitting down. I remember sitting down and my mom, and I would cross my legs, crossed my legs, you know. Mm -hmm. And my mom would look at me and she says, that's not the way a lady crossed her legs. She crossed her legs from her ankles, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. and, and I remember one day asking her, I said, why would we do that? And she said, you should never um, reveal your thigh. Mm. Well, you should never reveal your thigh. You well, should always cross your legs at your ankles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for years and years and years, I didn't know what that meant. Mm. So I was always thinking about the things that my mom taught me. Right. Because if I would get into a fight, a lot of people didn't know my mother or my father. But yet and still, I didn't want to bring shame. Mm. And, and I remember one day we was out on the field and we was playing softball. And... I hit the ball and hit, when I hit the ball, it hit her. <laughs> and so I was excited because I hit the ball. <laughs> I was excited because I hit the ball, I took off, started running, got to the third base, getting ready to come in. And uh, there was somebody that caught the ball and put me up. And so I was still excited for two reasons. I want to hit the ball and the other one I hit her. I have to pray about that. <laughs> but I hit her. Sweet. But I was just so excited that I was, that I felt like I had accomplished something. Two hits and with one swing. I know. Two birds. <laughs> <laughs> and, wow. I, and I remember uh, after the game was over and the bell rung, it was time for us to go take a shower and put our clothes on. And I remember being in the shower and her taking my clothes. Oh, man. <laughs> and I'm standing there. And I am so embarrassed. And all of the girls oh, looking wow. at me just going, nah, 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 nah. That's what, that, that's what they were saying. Just, just doing that. And I remember saying, give me my clothes. And I became angry. Mm -hmm. I became extremely angry. And she said, I'm not giving you anything. And so I remember just taking the soap and went boom when I threw it. I hit her right in the face with it. Well, you, you. I, I'm good because <laughs> I was, I, you know, I had a lot of brothers and sisters, so mm -hmm. they taught me some things. But uh, and I hit her with with it, and to me, she became weak because she was like, "Go get her, go get her." She was telling other people to go get me. And they were just standing there looking at me. So I went and picked up my clothes off the floor. And when I got ready to walk away, she took my hair and just jerked my head with my hair. And when I turned around, I don't remember anything but lights. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and I remember hitting her so hard that she was laying down on the floor and I remember the coach came in and said, was yelling and said, what are you doing? So I went in, I put my clothes on, I came back, she was still laying on the floor. 
and crying. And so I just walked past her and went on to the next class. And I'm thinking, she's going to beat me up because she's going to go tell her sister. So she went and told her sister, and her sister said, who you think you are? And at that time, I had a lot of nerve. My nerves was like, I said, who you think I am? <laughs> I said, who do you think I am? And I said to myself, if I'm going to get whipped when I get home, I'm going to get whipped for something. And so mm -hmm. she just was in my face, and I never backed down. Mm -hmm. And from that day to when we finished school, she was always like, hey, you know, and I looked out and said, hey. And she says, uh, are you going to tell your dad? Your dad is going to tell my dad. And I said, I'm not telling my father nothing. I got this. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm not telling him nothing. <laughs> but anyway, that was the end of our issue, whatever mm -hmm. it was. Wow. And it wasn't about me. It was just her going through things at home or or hanging out with people that she felt was beneath her. Right. Because at that time, her father and mom was doing extremely well, even though they was loggers like my dad was. But they always made sure that they had the best of everything. And people that had less are the ones that she looked down on. And I happen to be one of those people. Well, you know, the, the, the truth of it is, many times... Um, when we're going after and pursuing trying to provide for our families, mm -hmm. we don't give the quality time and the, and the assurance and the nurture to the ones that we're going out to earn mm -hmm. the money for. That's true. And so they are struggling and we don't even know it. That is so true. And uh, so, you know, looking back on it, you, you understand that. Oh, now. absolutely. Absolutely. But back then, you just had I, to... No, mm, mm. <laughs> I heard one of your brothers say... If someone were to disrespect her, I would just, I would not ever have to get in it. I would just grab me a bag of popcorn and enjoy the show. So there is something underneath. There's Colleen Sanders here, but there is a Colita. Oh, yeah, she's there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think we all have one from okay. time to time. Okay. But, you know, I'm... I, I would give you the shirt off my back. I would do yeah. whatever I can for an individual person. But my problem has always been when someone disrespect me. For no reason whatsoever, you're going to disrespect me. Mm -hmm. I have an issue with that, and I'm going to call you on it. Right, right. Just simple. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Sure, absolutely. And when we come back, we're going to, we're going to fast forward a little bit. Okay. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the, the beautiful Miss Colleen Sanders uh, telling her story, the founder of the Geneva Foundation and co-host of New Beginnings Radio. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for a really good read, one that will encourage you and inspire you, I encourage you to pick up The Legacy of Geneva, The Gift of a Mother's Wisdom, written by the beautiful Miss Colleen Sanders who took the wisdom of her mother, the late Geneva Williams, and put all of the, her precious nuggets in a book. Her mother passed early and left her to raise nine brothers and sisters. Before Geneva Williams left, she warned Colleen of the harm and the abuse that would soon come her way in the absence of her mother. And it did happen. But she remembered all of the wisdom that her mother poured into her and it became her means of survival. 
thousands have benefited from the wisdom as Colleen has shared with so many others. And now she has launched Legacy 1000, and that is to put 1000 of these books into the prison for incarcerated females, 79% of whom have also gone through various forms of abuse. Pick up your copy today on Amazon.com. All proceeds go to support Geneva Foundation. You'll be glad you did, and we thank you for your support. Well, we are back with the second portion of this episode where we're talking about our co-host, Ms. Colleen Sanders, the founder of Geneva Foundation Incorporated. We hope that you're enjoying the show, and we'd love to get your comments on, on this particular episode. So, Ms. Sanders. Yes, sir. So you um, were being taught by your mom how to basically run a household mm-hmm. and basically how to be a parent. Mm-hmm. Okay. And why do you think she did all of that? I know that she... My, mo- my mom was a very unique woman, very beautiful woman. And... <laughs> She was one of those women, whatever she said, that was it. You weren't going to talk her out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you was not going to talk her out of it. Her word was what it was, you know. Right. If she told you she was going she was going to whoop you at 12 o'clock at midnight, and you go on to sleep laughing, talking, giving her a hug, and go to sleep, trust me, <laughs> you're going to get a whipping. At 12 o'clock at midnight. At 12 o'clock midnight. <laughs> because she promised. But wow. that was the way she was. She was hard. And when I say hard, she always wanted us to do the right thing. Regardless, she always wanted us to to do the right thing. And her biggest thing with me is she wanted me to always be a lady. You mm-hmm. know, always hold your head up. Always be proud of who you are. And she would tell me sometimes, you're a pretty old black girl, <laughs> you know, and I would just melt like butter. <laughs> and uh, I remember her combing my hair and, and after she finished, after she put all that grease around the edges, <laughs> she would just look at me and take whatever grease that was in her hand and rub it over my face. And she would say, you're a pretty old black girl. And she would just have a huge smile on her face. Wow. That's powerful. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I understand that at some point she got ill. Mm -hmm. The first time that I really realized that she was sick, she would uh, always cook. Food would be on the stove when we got home. Saturdays was the same way. You know, we... she could always go in the kitchen and make a full meal out of nothing. <laughs> and I don't know how she could do that, but I find myself doing that as well. But she could just go in, in there and, and just come out and have the table laid. And I'm looking like, where in the world did this food come from? But she could always find it. And she would always just make sure that we had enough. And I remember... One day that we came in from school and she was she was laying down and that was not like my mother just to lay down. Next day it was the same thing over and over, and then it got to the point where she would say, "You're gonna have to cook," you know. And I remember her laying in the bed and we she was talking to me about English peas, 
and we had cans of English peas. And she would tell me to go open those, drain the water off, put butter <laughs> in a pot along with some water, salt and pepper, because it wasn't a lot to season with back then, salt and pepper. But you wash the English peas. Once you wash all of the juice off, then you put them into the pot. And she said it would take about 10 or 15 minutes because they're already done. And she would just tell me things that how to fry the chicken. Or sometimes she would just come in and sit down at the table and watch me fry chicken. And I knew then that there was something that was going on because it was not like her. Because she always had things done when we got home. Right. And so as each month would pass, it would it had gotten to the point where she would always complain about her kidneys. And she said, well, I just don't know. They're not flushing right or something. And I remember her going to the doctor and we were waiting for her to come home. And she had this weird look in her eyes. Mm -hmm. She had a weird look in her eyes. And I remember saying, are you okay? And she says, yeah, I will be. And I could hear my mom and my dad in their room, and my mom would be crying. And I didn't know what that was about. And a couple months later, we noticed that she was losing weight and she was going down. And uh, taking her back to the doctor, and I'm thinking my dad is going to bring her home. And he come back to tell us that she had to be hospitalized. Mm. And I remember overhearing him telling my uncle that they gave her less than three months to live. Oh, man. And I didn't know what that meant. And, and come to find out that she had kidney failure. And she had gone too long before she went to a doctor. And three months later, uh, she was getting worse and worse, coming home, barely can walk. And, um, <laughs> and still teaching, still teaching me stuff, still teaching me stuff. You know, telling me all kinds of things that I need to do just in case. Right, right. Just in case. And so did you, did you get suspicious? Yeah, I was wondering what was happening to her. Okay. You know, because everybody else was saying, oh, your mom going to be fine, your mom going to be fine. But during those, in those, those years, the kids couldn't be in the same room with the grown-ups because that was a sign of disrespect. Right. And so when grown people were talking, the kids was always outside or when the kids came in the house, the grown people stopped talking. And it was just how we respected our mother and our fathers. And, um, and I remember my aunt would always, she would come down and, and she would cook and she would do things. And it was just weird. And I knew when my aunt, who is my mother's sister, when she came home, in in my mind, it was like, Mama's going to get well, Mama's going to get well, even though I heard them say it's only going to be, you know, a few months. And I remember my mom sitting in the bed when my Aunt Mary came home. 
And my mom didn't know she was coming. It was a surprise. And I can see my mom almost jumping out of the bed to hug her sister. Because it's been like 15 years since they seen each other. Knowing she was too weak to do that, yeah. but she was still trying. Yeah. Wow. I mean, Amira came through the door, and my mom turned, and she, she was sitting in the bed in the hospital. And she just jumped up, I mean, just sat up straight in the bed. And she was saying, oh, no, no, no. No, and she was just laughing. She was so happy. And she started to pull the cover back. And Amir ran into her. And they just hugged and cried. Mm. Wow. <laughs> you remember that very clearly. I can yeah. see you almost looking at that. <laughs> yeah. And she was so happy. Mm. And I remember... Uh, and Mary just sitting there talking to her, holding her hand, holding her hand. And I mean, it was time. Visiting hours was over, so everybody had to leave. So I remember Aunt Mary talking to my dad. She said, how long? And my dad said, not long. Mm. Wow. And I remember going back to the hospital that next day. And I was sitting on the bed with my mom. And then I got down on the floor. There was low beds then. I got down on the floor and I put my head in my mother's lap. And that's when she told me to walk with my brothers and sisters. Until so that was, was the able big... to walk with themselves. So that was the day of the Great Commission, so to speak. Yeah. And you knew then. Yeah. I knew that she wouldn't, she was not going to be here long. And uh, I remember standing, doing that, and she was rubbing my hair. And she told me life was going to be hard for me. But always remember where there was darkness for me, she would make sure that I found light. Mm -hmm. And that no matter where she may go, she I should always know that she will be with me spiritually. Mm. She says, you're going to smell like cologne. Somebody's going to have my same name that you run into. Or even one day you'll be watching TV and somebody will remind you of something that I said. And just know that is me. Wow. Uh, sorry. <sighs> wow. Mm. And uh, visiting hour came and we had to leave. And I remember coming home and my mom used to have these big moo moos. <laughs> And I remember putting on one of my mom's moo-moo. And I went to bed. I went to bed. And I could... It's just like I heard all this noise. I couldn't understand what it was. It was in my dream. 
And it was all of a sudden, it was just like somebody was shaking me to wake up. And when I woke up, it was just like a scary thing. And I'm looking around the room. And I said, my mom is gone. <laughs> I said, mom is dead. And about 30 minutes later, the man that had the store down the street in Caseville, that was the number, because we didn't have a phone. That was the number that we gave for an emergency. And he came and he was bamming on the door. And he told my dad, he says, I'm sorry. Everybody called my mom, Jen. She said, he says, Jen is gone. And I remember hearing my dad scream. And that was the hardest night because it didn't look like daylight was going to ever come. Didn't look like daylight was going to ever come. Wow. Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. What were they thinking? What did they know? Were they... Is, is you know, nobody... Nobody was saying anything. So what you think, did they know what you knew? I don't know. I, I just remember, I, I remember everybody being in a band and when my dad screamed, it woke everybody up. And I just remember seeing children and, and I, I, I just remember sitting in the living room just begging God, please let daylight come. It just seemed like it was so dark outside. It was just so dark. And I'm just saying, God, please let daylight come. It's too dark. Let daylight come. That's all I wanted to see was daylight because I felt so scared. Hmm. And that's because you're a child of the light. And that's the reason why your ministry brings people out of the darkness into the light. Um, proverbially, you really felt the darkness and you felt alone. So, so after the loss of your mother and the long dark night and just feeling overwhelmed, um, what was the next few weeks and months like? Um, cold, empty, felt lost, trying to figure it out. <laughs> um, I know on. you had a routine that, that you would go home and you'd see mom and there was a routine in your, your interaction, and I think you had more interaction with your mother than any of your brothers and sisters. I did. And so now that is a vacuum for you. Yeah. 
you know, it's kind of like when you are in a routine, you know what to do. And when something happens and take you out of that, you are completely lost. You don't know what to do first, even though you could get up in the morning, make your bed, you know, go cook breakfast, make sure the kids was okay, you know, or helping mom to all of a sudden not wanting to get out of bed because it was like, what am I getting up for? Mom is not in the next room. <laughs> you know, she's not in the next room. We won't get to go and wash clothes and hang them out. We won't get, we won't, we won't do anything. And for a long time, the one thing that stuck in my head was the day Aunt Mary came home and Mom was in the hospital. And I can still see her face when she looked up and she saw her sister that she had seen in so many years was standing there. And she was so excited about that. And it was just like a piece that went across her face that was unbelievable. And to this day, I think of that happy time for her mm. when her sister came home. So she and, had a, a, in her final days, she had a moment where yeah. she was absolutely... She was happy. She was happy. And... Uh, Aunt Mary would come out there in the morning. She would stay all day until it was time uh, visiting hour was, was over. And you could just see Mom just perk up, you know. She would just perk up. And I thought, being a kid, I'm thinking that this is the healing for her. Because mm -hmm. all of a sudden, she's not stressing, you know, or she's not worrying about everybody. Because her biggest thing, <laughs> Lord, please let me live so I can see my baby 18 years old. And if you're going to take me, take me then. But that's what she wanted. And I guess it was another sense of security to know that a Mary was going to be there and that it would be okay now. Mm. Wow. So, so how long did uh, Aunt Mary stay with you Oh, Aunt Mary stayed a long time, <laughs> about a year, okay. almost a year. six months to a year, I believe. She stayed a long time. Okay. And in my head, I'm thinking, <sighs> okay, I'm happy because Aunt Mary's here. And she looks just like Mom. Mm. She looked just like Mom. So <laughs> I just played this game in my head that mom is, is here right. and I'm happy. Right. That was it. So, but there came a time when Aunt Mary had to go. I thought I would die. It felt like death all over again. It felt like death all over again. So now you're you're the mom. I'm the mom. 
<laughs> yeah. Taking on all the responsibilities. Yep. But did you ever at any point have gratitude for having learned everything you learned? Oh, yeah. Knowing that you are now the one who had to step in and walk in your mother's shoes. Yeah. You know, during that time, and I knew that mom had to know that there was something going on, I used to think my mother hated me <laughs> because I had to do everything. It would be cold outside and my brothers are sitting around the fireplace and she would tell me to go get wood. <laughs> and I'm like, in my head, don't you see them sitting there? But she wouldn't dare say that <laughs> if you wanted to live. <laughs> but, uh, you know, no matter what it was, if it was washing dishes, cleaning up, no matter what it was, it seemed like I was the only person called to do something. And I remember my older brother saying, I'll go get the wood. And I remember my mom saying, no, she'll get it. And it was just like, why you hate me so much? That's what I thought, that she hated me. And I remember her telling me one day, I know you think that I was so hard on you, but I'm, I'm trying to teach you a lesson that you need to learn. So when I'm not here, you will know what to do. And she did. She taught me that lesson. Wow. Well, I know she told you to walk for your brothers and sisters <laughs> until they could walk for themselves. I wish she had put a deadline on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in recent years, and because I've known you for 25 years, and I've seen you take care of a family, even, even now. Yeah. Well, we're going to cut it right there for this week, ladies and gentlemen. Tune in next week for the second half of this amazing story. You will hear how Colleen Sanders made four attempts on suicide and how God intervened each time. But you'll hear about the most dramatic moment when it was a sure thing she would have died. But God had a different plan and a purpose for her life. And God revealed himself to her on this particular dark, lonely night. Tune in next week and hear the best part of the story, how when the enemy meant it for bad, how God turned it around for good. Through the abuse, through the, the violence, through all the hurt and all the pain and all the shame that goes with it, and how God has set her feet in high places, and how he has given her the victory, and how she is changing lives as she uses the story for God's glory. We'll see you next week for the rest of the story of the beautiful Miss Colleen Sanders, founder of Geneva Foundation Incorporated and author of the book, The Legacy of Geneva, The Gift of a Mother's Wisdom. Thank you for listening to New Beginnings Radio, where we are planting seeds today for a better tomorrow and helping you take positive steps towards your freedom we're here every Saturday evening at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, as well as Monday morning at 7 a.m. Central Standard Time. We hope that you will join us. May you ever be delighted with the presence of our Lord as you continue in his will. Have a great week, everybody.